0: Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stone Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. I know that scene. (laughs) Let me make something clear. I'm not promoting this movie. But I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that it was not one of the movies we watched at, well, this is how Christian youth ministers have bachelor parties. We sat around and watched Monty Python and... uh, Great, great cinematic classics like Monty Python and um, Mike Myers' So I Married an Axe Murderer, really great movies like that. Actually, they're terrible movies, but anyhow, that that's a scene from the great Monty Python and the Quest for the Holy Grail, if you're familiar with that. I do not recommend most scenes of that, as I was talking with some of the guys in the booth this morning. Uh, Monty Python's The Life of Brian has no redeeming spiritual value, value whatsoever, so just don't watch it. Just so we're clear but that's the scene of course you know that's during the Black plague and people are passing away and he's going along bring out your dead and, and he brings out the guy and he says no no I'm not dead I'm'm not, I'm not dead I'm, not, I'm actually I'm gonna go for a walk I feel much better and he's like hitch his weight he's gonna be dead in a minute he's like no nah, I got other people to pick up and of course he says I feel happy I feel good and they knock him on the head throw him on the cart and get gets his cash and, and that, that's a little bit of a takeoff but you know there's a lot of difficulty a lot of despair and a lot of brokenness and In the world, and a lot of us, not just physically but even spiritually, we don't feel really alive nor do we feel quite dead. You know, the old West had the posters, wanted dead or alive, or I always think not of that because kids nowadays don't know old Westerns. So I often talk to young adults and teens and I say, Have you seen Dog the Bounty Hunter? For some reason, they've all seen it, which is really a sad sad kind of, uh, you know, indicator for our culture. But anyhow, you know, it's the idea of, you know, you're wanted dead or alive, but in case of life, we don't really feel necessarily dead or alive. So as we go into Romans today, in Romans chapter 6, we're going to see that God has called us, as we've been learning, into a new way of living, but also a new way of understanding ourselves, the depths, the spiritual nature of ourselves in our spiritual lives. And from Romans 6 on into Romans 7 and 8, We're going to really see that there's a tension in our hearts and in our souls. There is. There's a tension in our lives. What does it mean to say that God takes us just as we are? Everybody knows the old Billy Graham hymn from the Crusades, Just As I Am. But the idea that God takes us as we are, we're not really quite dead spiritually when God gets a hold of us, he brings new life into us, but yet we are still sinners, so we're, we're fully alive, but we're, we're still sinners, and there's that tension between who we want to be in Jesus, and yet who we are in our lives, and in the grace that God gives us, what does it mean for us to die to our sin? And to live fully into the new life that Christ brings. To seek after him and to claim that. What does it mean to die to our sin? And to live for Christ. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Perspective matters a lot. Understanding what it means that we are dead in sin and alive in Christ, we struggle to get that together to make sense of that in our lives. And the reality of what that means for not only who we are, but who we can be in Christ. And Romans has been building for us this foundation of grace. We've been learning about this idea that we're justified by grace, through faith, in Christ alone and how that changes everything in our lives and who we are. It's important that we understand this is a core practical thing for us. It's doctrinal. It's very much how we weave the Bible together, that how for our lives, for the why of what we do. This is kind of a personal thing. This is a fancy thing that we would call a praxis, an intersection where all of our lives come together, the very practical stuff, and the very doctrinal kind of high stuff, the biblical stuff, the emotional stuff, the depths of our souls, the the things we think and we feel that we don't even know how to really put into words. Paul's going to get into that a little later in Romans as well. But the central part of our lives, the core of our being, is that sin affects so much of us, so grace and redemption changes the very core of who we are. That seems like an easy concept, but it's not for us. We struggle, and what Paul has been building up this argument for us to see is... ...you either stand underneath the shadow of the cross in Jesus... ...or you stand underneath the the shadow of judgment in your works, your perfection under Adam. You're on one side or the other, and if you are born again, if you belong to Christ... ...if you have that new life, if you've given yourself to Christ... ...it's not that everything's perfect... But now you have a difference in who you are and how you can live. You have the power to overcome sin and darkness that outside of Christ, all you have is judgment. And that's a core thing that Paul wants us to understand. And it's important because if we're honest in our lives where that all intersects, we struggle with that. Because a lot of times we feel judged. We feel powerless. We feel unworthy. Sin brings us understandably guilt not just because it hurts us but because we know it hurts other people or we just see the effect of sin sin tears us down sin is one of those things just as God's spirit is like the wind Billy's gram. there's lots of wind today you can see that but spiritually a lot of times things we don't see are affecting the things we do Sin is one of those things, it tears down, it robs, it kills, it destroys. And when we get to the core of redemption, we get uncomfortable because what Jesus says is, I paid the price, you couldn't pay, and I filled up your bank account like we learned. And now, not only is your sin forgiven, I've given you an abundance of everything. Even when you mess stuff up, I still love you right where you are. We're uncomfortable with that because in our guilt, we want to make it all right and we can't. So where we need to start today, what Paul has built up in this argument, when we get to this, from the depths of our being, how we feel, the practical part of what we do, only in Christ, by giving up our need to control all of it and saying, Jesus, I can't do this. I can't. When God gets all of our heart, that's when things begin to change. And the core thing I want you to learn, the core thing I want our church to be about, we talked a lot about sin, but not because you're judged, because you're going to be set free. In Christ, you are set free, and God loves you. He loves you today, He loves you tomorrow, and He loves you forever. Nothing you're going to do is going to change how much God loves you. Because when God sees you, He sees Jesus. And do you know why people don't like that? Because it takes away our control. It takes away our power. Because we want to be able to earn it and have a little control and kind of aim it. And God says, no, no, no. If you're going to die, you're going to die. You belong to me. Everything belongs to me. And our calling, once we recognize God's grace and he loves us no matter what, As we live into this redeemed reality in this life where Jesus says, your life belongs to me now. I'm going to show you how to live, where to go, and what to do. Our lives are no longer our own. And that's the struggle for us. Just as it was in the Roman church. As we're going to see, we're called to give our whole selves. That's what Romans is leading us to. And we like to say, well, it's not that easy. In fact, we need a little more fire and brimstone in church. I get emails about this. We need a little more. We need to lay the lumber to people a little harder. I don't think that's the problem. In fact, as much as we like to say, I think that we've done a great job. I think every generation hears the gospel and understands it. The question isn't whether we share the gospel. We need to do that. Why aren't people responding to it? Why aren't people responding? Because if every generation, if fire and brimstone is what brought every generation to Jesus, I think sometimes Christians are pretty rough on people. Does our world respond to that? Does our world respond to us telling people what they already know, that sin hurts and that they're sinful and they're awful? I don't think people respond well to that at all. But I think what Paul's making the argument to the Roman church is the argument that I'm going to make to you today is that grace and love and mercy is what changes people's lives. Because every generation is moving farther away from the church. And if we don't make it about Christ, I don't think that the church is going to survive. And I think the reason the church in America is struggling is, quite frankly, when you give your life to Christ, it takes away all of your excuses to follow him. We're going to talk a little more about that. We're going to talk a little more about that. Paul gives us this... I would say, character trait. I don't know how else to really say it. A position for our heart and for our soul, maybe is a better way to say it. God can't love us anymore. God can't accept us anymore. He's died for us once and for all. The price is paid, as we're going to see when we get into Lent. He's risen from the dead. And if we rest in that reality, if we find our hope in the grace of God, and if we respond, then something is different. But the Roman church struggled with this idea of identity and unity in Christ. You see, they were playing those games. Well, I'm a little better than this person. Well, no, this person's a little better. They do the same thing we did. They're all jockeying for position. And Paul says, no. Paul says, when you're good, when you're not so good, you still belong to Jesus. And the goal in our lives, as we're going to see, is what Paul lays out here. And he's going to talk about this in different ways throughout the rest of the book of Romans. We are all called, as individual believers, to be... Dead to our sin and to be alive in Christ. That's what we're called to do. We stand not in the shadow of Adam where we try to do it all right, but in the shadow of Christ, in the shadow of the cross, as we stand there, we understand that we are to seek after Christ. That's the goal of our lives. Dead in sin, alive in Christ. And you see, it's important for us to understand that as Christ defeated sin, it's defeated for us We have that new life in Christ, but we're still sinners. And Paul's going to talk about, even like in Romans chapter 7, the things he doesn't want to do, he keeps doing. So if you feel like, wow, if the power goes out, this would be awesome. I don't know what we're going to do. The lights just flickered, right? I've had some strokes. I have to check. You never know. Uh, Okay, good. All right. Well, anyhow. so You never know. My brain might be going on. But anyhow, this calling we have to be dead to our sin, alive in Christ... That sin is defeated. What does that look like? And what are the different positions? And Paul kind of lays out in his writings in the book of Romans, there's some different ways you can live your life. First of all, we have those who are not regenerated in their heart to Christ. And those are unbelievers. So they're consumed by their sin. They're dead. Sin has got them. And they're not alive in Christ. Makes sense, right? Okay. Before you knew Christ, that was each one of us. You're dead in your sin and not alive in Christ. And the next kind of way you can look at this is you can be a hypocrite where you're you're alive in sin, you're alive in Christ, but you you really kind of like sin. It's like the old uh, Saint Augustine saying, "Lord, give me chastity, Lord, give me constancy, but do not give it to me yet." Right? You guys heard that? That's true. <laughs> that's what he says. Honest guy, right? But that that's that tension we live in in our Sinfulness, and Paul's going to deal more with that, how we all kind of feel like we're fakers, like we're hypocrites. We're we're kind of, you know, Christ has a hold of our lives, but we, we don't want to put sin to death. In fact, we just kind of find ways to have sins that we think are better, like the Pharisees did. What did Jesus call them? He said, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. You look all clean on the outside, but you're all dead on the inside. So in the end, they find they're not really alive in Christ... Those folks weren't at least, but in Christ, when he gets a hold of your heart, there's a struggle, there's a tension there. Then there's folks who like to be very moral or legalistic, and they're dead in their sin, but they oftentimes don't really know Christ. They may sit in church their whole lives, but they've never given their heart to Jesus. They've never let Jesus change their life. They've never let Jesus sin. In fact, they've got some things they want to talk to Jesus about. And they've got a list, and they want Jesus to explain to them. See, it's not about knowing Jesus. It's not about knowing about Jesus. Rather, it's about knowing Jesus and giving your life to him and letting him invade your life. And if you're so worried about getting it perfect, if you're still trying trying to stand underneath Adam, it doesn't work. And that legalistic bent of Christianity, I think, has done a lot of harm. It's not that there aren't right and wrong. It's not that there aren't rules. But if you're resting in the fact that you're following the rules, you're not resting in Jesus. And then there's the position that Paul is advocating here. You're not quite as alive as you want to be in Christ. You're going to be restored completely. But you still struggle in your sin. So you're dying to your sin. In fact, you're trying to put that sin to death and you're alive in Christ. And as Paul says there, what shall we say? Are we to continue in sin because grace is going to cover it? No way, he says, by no means. How can we who have died to sin sin, still live in it? We can't just say, hey, you know what? I can do whatever I want. This is the tension we have in our church. I'm watching the church battle this in so many ways. How do we put to death sin? And how do we live in Christ? Because if we belong to Jesus by grace through faith, if that's what happens, the whole arc of the Bible, of Scripture is redemption, like we saw last week from the book of Genesis. And Paul here uses some interesting analogies. He talks about being buried in baptism. And a lot of folks like to say, well, this is why you have to immerse people in baptism. We're going to have some baptisms very soon. I, always, I saw a meme on Facebook just this morning from a friend. So if Baptists are having a baby dedication outdoor and it starts raining, do they all become Presbyterians? I'm gonna let that marinate and not touch it. <laughs> so, but the idea that a lot of churches have is you have to be dunked and come back up, or you're not really clean. And if the kid's really bad in your youth ministry, you hold him down a couple seconds till the panic sets in, just to make sure he. No, I'm just kidding. You don't do that. But the reality is, whether we sprinkle someone with water or whether we dunk them down, the idea of being buried in baptism here. It's not, some some churches may promote an idea that's not biblical. So this is just a little thing for you guys to understand. The idea here is having a heart that dies to one thing and lives to another. Because even in Jesus' day, they didn't bury everybody underground. Okay? Some people were in catacombs underground. Some people were in caves up high. Some people were buried just under rocks, different places, depending on your station and life. So we have this kind of modern idea that Baptism, being dunked in the waters like being buried under the ground. That doesn't really work biblically because not everybody in Jesus' day, most people weren't buried under the ground. Okay? It doesn't fit, that's not a context. The culture, the archaeology doesn't fit that. But the idea here is that we have to completely die to one thing in our hearts and raise to another. Because in one thing we lived, in another thing we start a new life. And so the concept here is, is just fine biblically. That in our hearts, we have to die to one thing. We have to repent. We have to turn away and to live into something else. And so the question really comes down to one of heart. What is your heart's desire? For all of us, that's the question that Paul is asking this day, beyond all this other stuff. Are you hungering for God in your life? If you're not hungering for God in your life, what is in the way? Let's talk about hunger for a minute. I'm doing this thing called intermittent fasting, which for fat people is just called suffering to lose weight. But as we go into Lent, when people do suffer in different things, we let go of things, we put things aside. It's the same idea of understanding what it means to let go of something to give more space in your life to God, right? We understand this. We understand it, but we're not very good at doing it. One of the great verses in scripture that covers this, it's one of my friend's favorite verses, he always talks about it, I've heard him talk about it, it's one that's always convicted me, I've been crucified with Christ, it's no longer I who live, my heart's no longer mine, my life's no longer mine, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, and who I am, and the instruments of righteousness I've been given, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in who? In Jesus, in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And if that's my heart's desire, then I need to look at my life and make sure that it really belongs to Jesus. Because if I don't hunger, if I don't desire, if I don't really want more of God, something's probably in the way, or some things are probably in the way. What needs to be crucified and buried in your life? And it's not always bad things. A lot of times, we trade the good things for the best things in God. It's not always bad things. It might be. You might be right now going, yep, that's me, and yep, it's bad. That's okay. I understand. And God wants you to give that to him, and he wants to help transform your life. But sometimes it's things that, on the surface, objectively aren't bad things. Okay? But I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Look at your time. Look back over this last month. We're at the end of the month. Look back over February. Where's your time gone this month? And can't say I've been busy running around doing lots of stuff, because there were some times when we were stuck inside because it was like snowmageddon outside, right? So this is a good month to do this. If you have an app or a bank statement, depending on who you are, look at where your money goes. You know, obviously the church, we'd love you to tithe, but this is not a tithing sermon. This is a heart sermon. Where's your money go? People always say, I don't have a problem with X. I'll say, how much have you spent on it this month? Usually it gets pretty quiet then. How about your web history? What's your web history show? What you consume digitally can affect your physical world. What what consumes your thoughts? What do you worry about? What worries you away from God? What thing from your past drags you away and down from God's future? What is it? What hunger does God want to put to death in your life? What needs nailed to the cross and left? You see, the the key to the Christian life is not perfection. We don't live under Adam, but in Christ. The key to the Christian life, as we've talked about, is a sincere heart that repents, that seeks daily to die to sin and to live into Christ. And our call is to die to our sin, that Christ will live through us because we're dead. We go up to the hill with the cross with Christ. Our lives are nailed there. They're left there. We get a new life in Jesus. We come back down and we go forward in a new way to live. The church in America is dying because we don't want to die or to suffer or to sacrifice. We want that to be Jesus' job and not ours. But as Jesus has paid the price for sin, we find that the way that we have Christ in our lives is we die to ourselves and to our sin and we live in him. Barna came out with some really difficult church statistics last week. 46% of younger Christians though they know all of biblical concepts of how to share their faith, they don't believe in evangelism. They do not believe that we should try to tell other people about Jesus because it might hurt their feelings. I'm not picking on younger people. Not at all. Because they have followed the example that we have set. I worked with young adults and teenagers for decades. They have followed the example that we have set. What example do our lives set? If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We go up the hill, we don't come back, but a new life starts in Jesus. That Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. He's paid the price. Death no longer has dominion over him. And if it doesn't have dominion over him, it doesn't have dominion over us. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you and I also must consider ourselves, we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is why the church is not living and thriving in America today. And when you look at the generations that have seen us as a billboard... ...did you know that you are a billboard for Jesus? You're advertising something for Him. And what you do and what you don't. And how you live and in how you won't. And what you'll give up and what you refuse to give to Him... ...even though He's here saying, I already paid for this, give it to me. That's what Jesus wants us to see. That's what He wants us to understand... He's already paid the price for our sin. And he wants to live through us. What is in the way of your relationship to Jesus? What won't you let go and die to? Because in Christ, it all belongs to him. Every church survey, Harvests, Willow Creek, all these churches with these celebrity pastors that are dying, All these churches that were once the standard bearers in our world are all going to be gone in the next five years. Your pastor can't save you. I can't. I can't save this church. I was never supposed to. You can find somebody other than me who's fancier and slicker and will get more people in the seats or whatever and that's fine and that's not a judgment in me. There are people with different sins and different gifts and I'm not upset about that at all, but I want you to understand that that pastor can't save you either. Dying to your sin and saying, you know what, God, I screw this up every day, but every morning I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to say, this is not the way I want to live. And if you're battling something right now, we love you, and that's okay. But if you don't give that to Jesus, if you don't let him have that, it's never going to change. It's going to be like that movie Groundhog Day. You're going to do it over and over and over again. But all these churches that are dying do these surveys, and they find that the way we live and the way people who don't even know Jesus live is pretty much identical. The difference is we pretend like we're something else. But God tells us in his word that we have freedom in Christ to live a different life as instruments for righteousness. We don't give ourselves over to sin and just say, that's just the way it is. Paul says, no, sin will have no dominion over you. Verse 14, because you're not judged anymore, you're set free in the grace of Jesus Christ. And I wanted to leave you with something very practical today. How do you die to your sin? Because you may say, that sounds great, Bob. How do I do it? Painfully and slowly and repetitively. You guys have this in your bulletin today? This is taken from John Owen. John Owen was a Puritan pastor. State-of-the-art, like, centuries ago kind of stuff. I'm not going to give you some slick thing that I told you I came up with. Hey, six ways to be a better Christian this week. That doesn't work you'll feel better might even tithe better but it ain't gonna change your heart I'm not here to make you feel better I'm here to give you Jesus because he's gonna do far more for you than I can read this this week please take time if you're not interested in it just leave it in the seat back drop in the recycling tucked in your bullets and nobody will know that's fine But I know that we all battle with sin. I want you to have something practical to consider. Because sin rips all of us up. And so here's what it says. First of all, John Owen tells us, and this is rewritten by a great guy named Tim Challies, who I love in the church. Tim Challies is this guy, he's a pastor in Toronto. He's this normal guy, pastors his church and writes, and he's brilliant. There are still good theologians in the church today. We just don't read them. We watch Oprah. I don't know why we watch Oprah or we watch Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz is not going to give you good advice about your heart and life. Because Dr. Oz doesn't know Jesus. Sorry. John Owen tells us, this is a great thing. Evaluate the sin in your life. Think about how much it's got a hold of you. Really, Take time, evaluate that sin in your life, the consequences it causes, the hurt it causes to you and others. Let that really dig in. That's the opposite of what our world tells us to do. No, everything's okay. Let that sin actually fill into your life. Think about how evil and dangerous that sin is. Think about what it does. And load that into your mind about how Christ came and he paid the price on Calvary for that sin. And then long for deliverance from that sin. Just say, God, I more than anything, this one thing, if I could just get this thing out of my life, this thing is between you and me. I want to beat this. I, I keep screwing it up. I can't get past it. This hurts, the sin I commit, whatever it is for you, God, I and then take practical steps for that. Consider that sin and really. Consider about how it uniquely has hurt you or affects you. I'm not talking about beating yourself up over it. But think about, man, this sin actually is keeping me from this, this, and this. It is. Beyond that, contemplate how that sin happens. Figure out a way. Maybe you need somebody to keep you accountable. Maybe you need to go to a counselor. If you need to see a counselor... Confidentially, come talk to me. We work with Fieldstone Counseling. I'd be glad to help you get connected there. They do a great job. Come and talk to me about that. Come and talk to me about that. But really, think about that and and meditate on when it happens as well. You battle that sin and you meditate on how you need Christ to be number one. You need Christ in your life. And then the ninth thing is you wait on God and you expect. And sometimes this is the hardest part because you don't know whether it's Jesus or something you ate sometimes. But you know what you do have? You have God's Word. And if you're spending time in God's Word, when God talks to you, it's going to line up with His Word. It's going to make a lot more sense. If you talk to somebody a lot, if you read a lot of what they've read, you understand who they are. And when they talk, you're going to hear it. God's Spirit will connect all that for you. And that's a process by which you actually, from the inside out, decide, you know what? I don't want to live like this anymore. Because it's keeping me from God. In fact, it's become my God. And see, that's the nature of sin. As the great 21st century uh, theologians, One Republic, say in their song, Counting Stars, everything that kills me makes me feel alive. That's the nature of sin. That's the nature of sin. As Martin Luther said a little bit before One Republic, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. What the church at Rome, what the church in the Reformation, what the church today struggles with is the same thing. But luckily, we've always had the same Savior. If you have any questions about this, feel free to talk to me. But understand that I I do this because I love you guys and God has great plans for all of you in your lives. And if you get angry, if you get defensive, if you say, "Forget it, you can't no we're not talking about that that's okay, but that sin you're battling is tearing your heart up. You may don't you may not think you don't think people see it, but they do. What is between you and God? let's pray, Father that we would understand that you give us the tools as you are part of our lives, as you dwell in us, that you give us the power to overcome our sin and temptation. God, we may spend a thousand times trying to get over it. Lord, we may spend years of our lives battling, but the key to the Christian life is not perfection. Lord, it's in our heart, it's repentance. And God, sometimes it's not even us, it's sin that other people have done to us. They've hurt us, and we, we still suffer the consequences of it too. I pray for each and every person here that if they don't know you, that they would give their lives to you this day. Lord, if they need to talk to me, I'll stay up here. I'll talk to them. If they need to just lay down their lives before you, we'll pray with them after church. But the key to our life is not perfection. It's not having it all together. It's recognizing that we don't have to. That we're not really fully alive in Christ as we will be someday. We're not fully restored. We still battle sin. But that we have the power in Christ to overcome our sin. And that the key to our lives every day is repenting of our sin, is saying, God, I want to be dead of this sin and I want to be alive in you. Today, make that the prayer of our hearts, of our lives, and Lord, each day that we would really stop and evaluate who we are and what we have that's between us and you, I pray in Jesus' name.